Welcome to Regulars Anonymous. With host, Zachary Landry. Sitting down with the people who are standing in line behind you at the grocery store. And hearing what they have to say. Yeah, we played an improv game. It was very awkward. Yeah, I bet. It's great. Are you recording right now? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Oh, no. Okay. <laughs> There's water there if you need if you okay. need it. Yeah. Right. You have, just have, do you, your thing. have you listened to you myself pro- before on a podcast? No, no. Have you listened to this podcast? Do you have any idea what it is? I I've listened to bits and pieces of it, but All not right. to its. Fr- it's real cash. Okay, good. Yeah. So don't worry about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I I now I was like trying to think. I was like, I don't think you play games or anything. No. <laughs> no. no. I I guess I was on two podcasts, Jason Fuies. And then the oh dear. And I think I played games both because they're like, oh, let's play improv games. Is that weird? No. No. I mean, because that's what I do. Yeah. Fair. <laughs> when did you get into improv? Um, I started doing improv. Well, I tried to do it when I was younger because mm-hmm. uh, I, I was from Rocky Mountain House. Oh, okay. And I mean, there's nothing there. And I remember having this shop teacher who did improv in theater and i was like we should start an improv like club um but it never happened i think maybe it happened for like two days and then it just didn't i don't know if he was lying about what he did or (laughs) no one just showed up everyone was like that's lame we're all hockey and sports people in rocky mountain house but then i started doing improv in college kind of a little bit and then Honestly, I started in sketch, which led me to improv. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Because I watched Carol Burnett. And then I was like, I'm going to start a theater company. I'd seen other shows and like sketch shows. And I was like, I can do that. Very naive. (laughs) As as any creative person. Yeah. Starts off that way. They're like, oh, I totally could do that. And then our first show was like three hours long. It was like just atrocious. It was just (laughs) brutal. And then eventually we figured out a great format. And we were funny then, but it took a while. When was your first show then? Our first show was October of 2008. So Amy, uh, who's a good friend of mine, she was in Italy and she had come back at the beginning of September. And I was like, I want to start a theater company. Um, Let's do it. And so our first show was like mid-October. So we did a month and a bit of prep and just did a show. Just made blindly. it happen. Just, yeah. yeah. We were just super naive and like, oh, we totally can do this. This is easy. But then that followed us for many years because we kept doing a show every month. So we were making shows like every single month, like quickly. And were they mostly sketch shows in the beginning then? Yeah, everything was sketch. We did like a little, we always had a little bit of improv peppered in there um, just because we found it worked really well. Mm -hmm. Um, And it was like a way for us to like practice improv. But we were writing anywhere from like 10 to 15 sketches in a show every single month. So we were each writing, there was like six of us, anywhere from five to 10 different sketches. And then eventually Bullskate got to this point where we had like a group of people who were really good at writing who weren't necessarily in the shows, Mm -hmm. but they'd write like a ton of material and I just pick my favorite 10 sketches and it was great. We did that for a while and it worked really well. And then we had these great actors who were also good comedians and then it evolved again. So was your first show under the Bullskit umbrella or did the... Yep. Oh, okay. Well, kind of. Yeah. Like we started the theater company called Against the Wall Theater, okay. but we created the show Bullskit Comedy, which was a variety show. So we had a contortionist, we had a dance crew, we had a musician, we had film, like filmed shorts. We had sketch and improv in there. What was it in like, our first show. What was it like organizing all that the first time? Um, I don't really remember. I mean, I think <laughs> it was probably fun. I think, <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember. I now think of it and I'm like, this. that would be so much work. But I think in the moment, I, I knew people because of theater school. Mm-hmm. 
So it was super easy to ask. I was like, you want to come do a dance routine? You want to come do some contortion stuff? Like, it was really easy because there was a lot of artists kind of floating around. around. Now, I don't think it would... I mean, I could maybe do, like, a full variety show, but it'd be so different. Yeah. And we were all really young. We were, like, you know, like babies. Just eager to do it. Mm Mm-hmm. Or you don't see that because there's, like, the program's dismantled. So all these, like, young kids just blindly doing these, like, weird shows, you don't see. You just see old people like me. I'm not old, but (laughs) older people doing shows now. (laughs) And those artists, like, we've all stayed here. Yeah. Where everybody else is like, we're leaving. Everybody leaves Red Deer. That's what I've noticed. (laughs) (laughs) Or they're like, oh, I'm going to go find something. But now you're... like a little fish in a big pond when you leave where here you can become a big fish in a small pond yes so i guess whatever you prefer because how long has bullskit been running now 16 years i was gonna say i couldn't remember if this was your 15th year or if 16 wow (laughs) that's crazy did you ever think it would get to that point or no well, I, I, when I started it, I started it as a theater company because I wanted to do like theater and yeah. I was constantly being told in theater school that I couldn't do it or like I wasn't ready to do it. And so I was like, well, screw this. I'm going to do it. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, you can't tell me no. Uh, and so I did it. Um, and I, so I started it as a theater company and Bullskit just came out of, I'd seen, I think Chris Schultz and Chris Lung- Christoph Lundgren did the Hullabaloo Review, I think it was called, an a e- Boudoir. And it was like a sketch kind of theater hybrid comedy night. And I was like, I can do something like that because people love comedy. Um, and then also throw in a bunch of different things that encompassed a lot of artists so we can make some money. So our first show we did was Suburbia. It was this like edgy 90s grunge racism type of a show. (laughs) Like it was edgy because I was 20 and edgy. (laughs) Uh, And then we did another season and another one. And then we stopped doing theater because it was hard. A lot of work. A lot of work. A lot. And and you just we weren't seeing the feedback the same as what we were seeing with our sketch show. Like, people loved our sketch show. We were selling it out, like, and that was in the height of, like, where, I mean, the economy was great, so people were going out lots. So we were selling out all of our shows. And then, um, so we just, I was like, let's just keep doing sketch. Yeah. And then it kind of grew and grew and grew. And then in my 10th season, I had a baby. I was like, this might be it. We might be done now. <laughs> Ten's that, a good run. Ten's a great uh, run. Yeah. And then it just kept going. And then COVID hit and I was like, well, we might be done now. And we're back. So 16 years. But I don't think I ever thought it was going to turn into what it is. Because I started it thinking we were going to do theater. Mm-hmm. And I was going to make a bunch of work for myself and then move away. Your plan was to leave originally. I was. Yeah, I was going to Toronto in season four. So at the end of that season, I was going to move to Toronto. And then I met my husband and I Ah. stayed. Yeah, so I I met a human being that forced me to stay. Sad story. But it was great. Like, I'm, I feel very, very lucky. I'm like, I'm paid to do what I love. Paid very little to do what I love. I'll preference that. That's great. No, I didn't think it was going to last this long. I still don't think it's going to last this long. I'm like, hey, it's probably done. <laughs> but people keep wanting to do it and see it. So I'm like, great, let's keep going. Well, it seemed like you adapted appropriately to what was actually working and just leaned into that. Yeah, I mean, we went through some ups and downs. Yeah. I think we adapted to the audience because in the first few years, because the audience started coming to our shows and we'd be like, well, what was your favorite sketch? And they start referencing the improv. And we're like, no, that was made up. And they're like, that wasn't made up. And we're like, yep, that part of the show was completely unscripted. And mo- that kept happening more and more and more. 
and I was like, okay, why are we doing so much sketch? It's so much work. We just do improv. So our improv started to get really great. And then we shifted to doing more improv shows because for some reason we could just make those better than our sketch shows. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't know. Um, and we did less sketch shows and we still do. I think we did one last year and we're going to do one this year. And it's honestly like sketch is very much like stand up. It's like you have to practice that muscle. And so sometimes I think our sketch still won't ever be that good because we're not actively practicing. Yeah, it. it's not it's not your main point of focus mm -hmm. or the improv. I mean, we've exercised that muscle and we're really good at it. Like we have like a really good core pe core group of people that's really good at it. Um, but now I can't even remember the question you asked. What was the? Oh, we evolved. We adapted. Yeah, so yeah. then we switched to the audience. We gave them more improv because they loved it. And then we adapted the wrong way. The players started to get antsy and wanted more and different things. And we stopped listening to the audience. And we started listening more to the players, which is good. But to a point, I think. Like the players wanted specific yeah just different things or they wanted to be on stage in a different way and so we were trying to like adapt and let them have those opportunities and i think we started to lose our audience in a different way which i mean it's like anything uh, and then bullskit just really started to change and then i think we've been i think we're on the right track again to kind of like finding our feet um but I also think we started Bullskin in our 20s. And so we were all really young. And it was like 20 to 25, where it was like great. 26, it was like in the basement, creating sketch comedy. It was like cool. And then we're all like, oh my God, now we're turning 30. And people are having families. <laughs> so it, it evolved. Like we evolved. And I, the company was trying to evolve too. And I don't think it was quite there. Now we're all... Like in our later 30s. You've made the transition. We made that transition. <laughs> yeah. So now we're evolving the company to be a bunch of old people. Yeah. So it's great. How many people from the original cast are still involved? Not many. I mean, they are, but in a roundabout way. Yeah. They pick and choose. Different capacity. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah they're alumni yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. Like Amy and I. Or uh, tenure. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But like. I look at like Ash and Eric and they've been there for like over 10 years, mm -hmm. but they weren't original, but they were pretty close. Like they've, they've been through it. Um, but like Amy, me, I guess you could say Riley a little bit, Dan, but original, original was like me, Amy, Jeremy Robinson, Paul Sutherland, uh, Serge Beliveau. Serge just started to come back to the stage slowly. And then, like, I would also say, yeah, I think that was, like, original, original bull skitters, which is weird to think about. Because I'm like, Jeremy's still there. Like, Jeremy runs our Twitter. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so if you want some weird shit, go to our Twitter. Um, but then Paul started his own theater, his own improv company. Okay, yes. Yeah, so um, they do stuff in town, which is great. So him and his wife started that in a different capacity than what we were doing. Like we, we burn our people out, you know, make them work way too hard. <laughs> Paul's like chill and cash. <laughs> it's great. So I just pull up his people when I need them. But yeah, no, it's, I, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know. Everyone's like, we got older. Yeah. But it seems like you went into it. Without really having, like, an expectation. None. Just see where this goes? Yeah, it was, like, honestly, it was built on this, on the fact that I was told I couldn't do it. Oh, I love that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I was just like, yeah, right. And I, I had been told no a lot in college. I was like, I was told to, like, go get a BA. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, no, I'm doing theater. And then I wanted to direct Waiting for Godot. It was like in my first year of college. It's like the most in 
intense play. Like, no 19-year-old should be directing this play. <laughs> but I was like, I could do it. <laughs> Thank God I didn't. But they were like, no, you can't. So I think I was told enough times that I was like, fuck it. I'm doing it. Hopefully I can swear. Oh, yeah. Okay, great. Fuck, fuck, fuck. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> do you ever run into those people that told you no oh yeah and i've told them that now <laughs> i was like remember when you told me this and they're like no and i'm like you did <laughs> and you're the reason remember. why i'm doing theater in red deer <laughs> i would have left i probably would have been a nurse or something <laughs> if you would have just told me i could do it but i do think about that there's a lot of things in my life where i have been told i can't do something and then i'm like i'm fired up by it I think less now because I'm older and, I don't know, life changes. And when you're told no, you're like, okay, you're probably right. (laughs) Whereas when you're 20, you're just like hell bent on proving yourself. At least I was. And I did. Like it was 16 years. Look at that. That's crazy. Yeah. You've got the run to, to prove it. Yeah. We're doing it in Red Deer of all places. Yeah. Where I look at like some of the companies that have popped up in Edmonton, they're wildly successful. I'm just like, I wonder if I could take Bullskit. Would it have, would it be different in a different community? I don't know. Well, that would just be a new muscle to, to grow. Right? Yeah. Like, like, we, like Bullskit yeah. on the road type deal. Yeah. I, you know, <laughs> <laughs> we did take our, we did do a women's show. At the King Eddie, which we were the first sketch show ever to do something at the King Eddie, which was like the coolest thing to me. Because the King Eddie is like a staple in Calgary. And it's always been a music venue. And they let the Dirty Show uh, perform there on Thursdays. And then the Dirty Show's like, let's bring the sketch show. So we did an all-women's saucy feminist sketch show at the King Eddie. We were the first people ever. That's a good feeling. It was cool. I was like, this is sweet, you guys. And it was like sold out, which is equally as cool in Calgary. So it was like interesting to see how they laughed different. Like what was funny to them versus in Red Deer. I mean, like Red Deer's kind of easy. Like I hate to say they love a good character bit like they're old school comedy like snl old school carol burnett they love the old character stuff where i think like edmonton well at least calgary likes the feminist stuff like really like the political satirical parody poppy uh population density yeah right you'd you'd pull out more people that that would definitely appeal to Mm -hmm. it was interesting it was great i loved it it was very fun I was dressed as a giant penis. It was great. But you guys did that show here <laughs> as well, correct? Yeah, we did it. We've done it. We did it for six years here. And that was the first time we ever took it somewhere. Okay. But we, we had always written together because we were in an industry dominated by men. Mm-hmm. Um, and like on stage where I walk up with you or an, a man and he's instantly more funny than I am. Not that we do improv for the comedy. We do improv for both like um, like a visceral response of some sort, whether it's like a gasp, but yeah. relatability. Like I teach that. It's I'm the like, engagement. Yeah, it's not just the laugh. But I, I had a harder time with men. And so we created the women's show because we wanted an even playing field. And it, it was always like my favorite show. Still is one of my favorite shows. Because I get to say more than I normally do. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think it was good. There's this recent, I just talked to someone recently about this, that people have been coming down to play with us, like from Calgary and Edmonton. And they're more aggressive in improv in those communities. Like to get an, a word in edgewise as a woman you have to be a little bit more dominant on stage and just like quick. Whereas in Red Deer, we've created this like community of like men and people where they give each other way more space Mm -hmm. to create and be curious with each other and discover together. And so yeah, the hold off for half a beat and see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, I feel like that's super unique 
and I'm really proud that that people are coming here so they can have that experience because I play at the moose in Calgary quite often and it's true like you have to be a little bit more like I have to play more aggressive aggressive might not be the right word but like more assertive yeah um because I'm playing with some alpha players (laughs) I won't say it's just men but it really is just men alpha men with like big egos who have played there forever well that was my next question how do you find ego dynamics working in (laughs) in an improv setting that's the worst i hate i hate egos (laughs) i love them and i hate them because you need one but you also don't want one Mm -hmm. um in improv when i teach community members it's the first thing i try to figure out with people is i'm like where does what drives you what drives your ego so i can break it down and try to eliminate it because usually people in improv will make choices that are not impulsive they're ego driven Mm. so trying to get people to learn to make impulsive choices and choices based on discovering curiosity versus my ego what's gonna make me look good how do i like get the laugh get get the the laugh get whatever it is yeah and it's it's really hard because yeah i see a young group of improvisers coming up and they see people getting laughs, so they attribute that to success. And I'm like, that's like a small piece of it. Like, can you be relatable on stage? Can you get people to lean in when you're quiet? Like, there's so much more to it than just a laugh. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure that's in stand-up, too. Like, there's there's an art form to what we do. It's not just, like, get a laugh. Yeah, it's it's the engagement. Yeah, is what's important because you can. Can you hold a room exactly? Right. And be comfortable in that. Yeah, and I mean, like, I don't envy you. You guys play bars like that's shitty. Oh yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's like, how do you hold that kind of room? That you just have to learn that. Yeah. Because I've seen folks who typically perform in a club. Yeah. And that's that's your perfect ecosystem for stand-up people paid the ticket price they're mm-hmm. there for this yeah this is what it is suddenly you go out on the road and you're in the wild yeah you gotta <laughs> you gotta learn some new tricks to get people to pay attention yeah and you can't i, I depending on the on the situation like if you're a, a decent comedian with uh you know you you have uh, good bits and you know you know your material well mm-hmm. I, I think of a comedy club kind of like t-ball yeah. Like you should be easily able to make people laugh in that environment versus the bar is like your pickup game of basketball or, you know, there's <laughs> yeah, a yeah. lot more variables going on. And that's why I really appreciated the the bowling alley. Yeah. Because totally. that was the worst environment <laughs> for any sort of comedy. Yeah, yeah. And even where they had the stage right beside the... <laughs> Beside the kitchen, and it, and then the bar was on the other side at the back of the room. Scoring. Exactly. Like, There's a kid's great. birthday party going on out yeah. there. Black light. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the bleed. Yeah. And yeah, that. Yeah. So I appreciate that environment because that you had to work so much harder. Yeah. And I would watch guys who, you know, from Edmonton or Calgary shit on that room and go, that room is horrible. And then they come down. And just eat shit for their 10 minute set. And you're like, yeah, man, like it's, it's like, it's a horrible room for comedy, but it, you can, when you get it, yeah, it was so like when that room really, um, there, there was a while where like the audience was kind of dialed in and we mm-hmm. had a, a pretty good group of regulars and the show nice. quality, uh, w- went up Yeah, and th- they were fantastic. You know, this is like, you still had to work for it. Yeah. There's still a lot going on. It's still a lot going on against you. But th- it was fantastic. When you have that community that knows you, I feel like that was like, Bullskid had that. We were known. Like, mm-hmm. people came to see the people on stage. And, like, that's cool. And they're like, what is, is Jeremy going to do the fuck you guys? Is Jen and Amy going to do Alice and Sarah? And it's like, 
when that finally happens, it's like, oh, you could do anything. Yeah. And you just have more fun. Yeah. But yeah. then, I, uh, you know, there's also times where. <laughs> no, like, do you get. You do shit do, clubs. We used what? to do a show at Cheers North. I totally was thinking about this as you're telling me. Okay. Like, Cheers North. I don't even think you probably knew. No, the, no. It was this, like, sketchy-ass bar on the north side, and it was called Cheers. And it, for some reason, they let us do improv in there, and it was just brutal. But we did it, and I was like, why are we doing this to ourselves? I like people who do improv in bars. I'm like, they're, it is a beast. Like, bar prov is a beast. Now they do, like, high. You get high. It's great, and you just do a show high. But Yeah. I haven't done that, but um, I mean, to each their own. I guess whatever works, really, in the space you're in. Yeah. I'd, I would not be able to do one of those shows. <laughs> but you have. Uh, it's just a different piece. You have your written material. Yeah, but there's also, you know, the improv element in stand-up. Oh, of Because 100%. one issue that a lot of stand-ups have is not being able to shift gears when their material's not landing. Mm-hmm. And That's huge. Yeah. You can always tell. Oh, yes. Like, I haven't seen enough stand-up. I used to see more, but ne- and I had a tough time. Because mm-hmm. I was like, y- you guys should be adaptable. Like, you guys need to work a room. I, at first, like, that's what you should learn first. And then write your material. Like, I know uh, you have to write material, but it's... I'm like, you guys need to know how to work a room. So I appreciate yeah. the host always. Yeah. Because the host would really... And that's where you learn that skill. Yeah. Right? Because if it, it, it's kind of tricky because people ask for advice and stuff. And I was like, the most important thing, get your tight five. Mm-hmm. Understand. And to truly understand what that means. Because mm-hmm. people think just because you're standing up there on stage for five minutes, you go, no, that's not it. Yeah, yeah. You know, there is some parameters. Totally. Uh, that that at least will definitely help you for future bookings when someone goes, hey, I'm looking for someone who's got five minutes to mm-hmm. know what it truly means to have five minutes of material. Mm-hmm. That's going to land. Yeah, exactly. Because realistically, <clears throat> that, I don't know if you said that, if it was Hicks or, I think, but probably many people have said it over the years, but the like your material is almost your your fallback plan. Mm-hmm. when you're not able to just pick something up in the room. Yeah. And you notice there there is some uh, crowd work comedians in, in around and like true crowd work comedians, mm-hmm. like their, their material is just almost to give them a reprieve until they can think of something to, to get back into the crowd. Yeah. 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 And it's just their way of navigating it, whereas a lot of people, you know, it's, the material's front-loaded. Yeah. And if something happens in the room, they'll comment on it quickly, mm-hmm. but then they got to get back to their safety boat. Mm-hmm. Get, let's get this back on track so I know where we're going. Yeah. Huh. That's interesting. It scares me. I would never do it. Only because I'm by myself. See, yeah. I like sketch because I always have a buddy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I like improv because I'm always creating with someone. Where sketch, it's like, I mean, I've, or stand up, it's like taking my sketch material and putting it into a persona yeah. or a version of myself. Because I believe most stand ups are versions of themselves. A version. Mm-hmm. Or at least their jokes are versions of them. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I think I just, it's, that seems like just. Like, you're going to go up there. You're like, give me the tomatoes. Give it to me. <laughs> Here's my self-deprecating humor. Yeah, or whatever it may be. Here's my <laughs> hot take on yeah. whatever happened this week. Yeah. Here's my political views. Let's go. Which, uh, and then it's fun. <laughs> <laughs> whatever. Yeah. It is what it is. You'll never get away from it. Yeah, yeah. I I find it interesting. I find that I see a lot of comedians go through that like dirty stage yeah it's like let's hit dirty jokes because we know they'll hit and everyone does them and there's like a period of like they have to go through that to get to the good stuff Mm -hmm. and it's so fascinating to me and i try to think of like what was my period in sketch where it's like i went through this to get to the good stuff 
but I think I learned very quickly in sketch that it was all about production. Like I was like, I need to produce 15 sketches. Two of them will be good. Yeah. Right. And so we didn't hit that point till like season five or something. Quality is the result of quantity. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. And we were writing a ton of stuff, like a ton of stuff. There's so many. We had a thing called a black hole folder. A lot of stuff is in that folder. (laughs) (laughs) And I always, I'm like, maybe there's something good in here. I always look back. I'm like, yeah, no, it's never, it was never good. Yeah. I honestly, uh, (laughs) I'm sure there's jokes are the same. Oh, there was a few months ago where I had everything that I had written since I started stand up oh, and it was a stack yeah and and i held on to it for the same reason i said you know what maybe there's some gold in here <laughs> and i went through it and i was like this is so painful yeah it this, really it's is horrific but i because everything everything that good that came out of it yeah it's this, good i kept yeah, yeah like i know i already know the good stuff yeah, and yeah. i kept developing the good stuff yeah. to make it better and so after after going through that i was like there is no reason for me to hold on to this. Yeah, And totally. I just burnt it all. Yeah. And I was like, yep. You feel good. <laughs> yeah. I feel like that's like what, I mean, we teach that in improv. It's like you have to fail to succeed. And in life, you have to fail to learn. And I think your failed jokes and failed sketches are being like, oh, there was some success. Yes. That came out of bad sketches. Yeah. There were even bad sketches that hit the stage that I would never do again. Also because they were really inappropriate. But worked at that time. But very bad now. I'm just like, <laughs> the, the times have changed. Times have changed. And even then I'm like, wow. But again, we were so like we were young, like what we thought was funny versus now. Like it's evolved. Yeah. And I still am like, we have some twenty year old improvisers. And sometimes I'm like, I am not on the same page. I am definitely showing my age right now. I am not. <laughs> not one of the cool kids. I'm not anymore. cool anymore. <laughs> I'm not cool. I'm like lingo and stuff. And I'm like, what? Or like, like anecdotes are different. And I'm like, oh. Oh, the slang. Slang. Yeah. <laughs> like so many things. Like I'm like, thank God Riley teaches in high school. He teaches us some slang so that we're kind of cool hot but it is like crazy i'm just like i become one of those middle-aged whether we like it or not am i a millennial i think i'm a millennial yeah who knows but yeah it's wild it's like i think what i find funny now versus before oh my god and i remember doing like parents when i was 20 i'd be like pretending to be a parent (laughs) And I'm like so offended now when like someone can't do like you like all the parents I see on stage in improv are like, how could you do this, Timmy? You're the worst child ever. I'm so disappointed in you. Or it's like something totally weird. It's like, I'm leaving your father. I'm running away with Greg. It's like, what is that? What? How you see your parents? Like, I'm like, as a parent, I'm offended. I was like, I would never do either of those things. I would never yell at my child. I would never leave my husband for the mailman. Well, maybe I would, but it's like yeah, weird. Someone out there has. Yeah, or that <laughs> reference. Yeah. I'm like, what did you watch that has like skewed your vision of what parents are? Yeah. Because you know, like some sort of societal, they watched a show and they're like, oh, that's what parents are like. That's well, like almost like Home Alone. You watch the parents in that. Yeah. They just keep forgetting their kid. They're just so they're casual. Too, they're about too it. busy with everything. Being an adult. Yeah. And the dad is like, let's just go to the hotel. It'll be okay. <laughs> like, what? What? Like, the mom's like, no, I'm going to stay here. Well, I'm going to go to the hotel with everyone and then we'll figure it out. It's like, oh my God. That would like never, like, it would never happen be calling the police and like i don't know it's very weird there was another show i watched recently where it was like this is a very skewed i had to remind myself oh it was that new rom-com anyone but you i actually saw this i'm okay shocked i went and i saw this i did it because they're like oh it's like old school rom-coms and i was like oh cool 
Like I grew up with like You've Got Mail and yeah. When Harry Met Sally, iconic. And we're doing a rom-com coming up. <laughs> so I was like, I got to go see it. And I was like, this is like not a rom-com. And my sister is just so in love. She's younger. <laughs> she was just like, oh, this yeah. is the best. And I'm like, I mean, it's, I mean, it's, I mean, they're very pretty to look at. But I'm like, it's not really rom-com. And then they did kind of turn into a rom-com, but it was like really cheesy. And I just love it because all these girls are giggling. And I'm like, oh, my God. They're loving it. They're loving, loving it. it. They're loving it. And I'm just like, what is skewed? I'm like, all right. Well, I guess she's your own. You aged out. I aged out. <laughs> I did. Now I'm watching old old movies like When Harry Met Sally. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I say I'm old, but I'm really not. But When Harry Met Sally is an iconic rom-com, I have to say. I don't think I've ever seen it. <gasps> what <laughs> so good i mean like if you like movies it's like i feel like one of those movies you should like you should see yeah it's like i don't know reservoir dogs or like pulp fiction those are very two different <laughs> you put very, it up there with those very skewed <laughs> or like you know it's just like one of those movies like godfather you like you should see again those are all very different <laughs> movies like one would be like something similar i don't know i can't remember but I feel like it's a high caliber flick. Sh yeah, sure. It was just really, I, I think it was iconic for the time, maybe. And it's just very good. Yeah, like Mean Girls. <laughs> yes. How old are you? And I just really, I must be way older than you. Mean Girls came out when I was like 20. How what? old are you? How old are you? How old are you? 32. Oh, yeah, I'm older than you. Okay. <laughs> I'm 36. I'm not very much. Yeah. But that gap, you'd be There's like a, a young kid watching me and girls when I was older. Yeah. Yeah. You were like 12 when I was, whatever that math is, 16. Is that right? Yeah, something like that. <laughs> you said you're 32? Yeah. I totally nailed the math. Yeah. 12 and 16. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. Movies. I love but movies. the Godfather came out way before you. Well, I went to film school, <laughs> okay, so uh... yeah, yeah. And I was in a show once, a theater show, and it was all about old school movies. Mm -hmm. So I watched, like, like I can't even remember. I had to watch like sixteen different movies in the so I would know the reference points in this play I was in. And there were old movies like Jeremy knew them all. I was in it with him. And I had to watch all these like iconic like Casablanca and just like classic old school movies. I can't even remember anything else. Isn't that bad? It was a long time ago. Yeah. I've had two children. My brain is messed. It's fried. It's totally fried. <laughs> the fact that I'm talking is amazing. It's true. We okay, scientifically, this is you shouldn't put this on your podcast, but you if you want to, you can't. But scientifically <laughs> We go through two big, like, brain changes, like, where, where uh, the gray matter in our brain changes. And it's when we're two, and we learn how to talk. And then women do it when they have babies. And it's the only other time where the gray matter in our brain changes because it, like, sinks you to your child. Uh -huh. So women go through two very drastic brain changes, once when they're two and once when they have a baby. So my brain literally has changed. You've stayed the same. I'm sorry to say. Perfect. <laughs> I like who I am. <laughs> oh, I wish I did. <laughs> that could be my whole stand-up bit. It's just motherhood. Yeah. No. No one wants to hear that. Other mothers probably. Yeah, that is true. We did do a show for pregnancy. Or what was it? Prairie Midwives. Mm -hmm. It's all a bunch of women. We did our lady show. Just We killed it <laughs> was a good one <laughs> but it was all like we were all talking about the same things it's like yeah yeah when you got the audience Pregnant, for it uh, yeah birth yeah the dirty show had this song called birth and it was like a gross song <laughs> but i was like this is the audience yeah for this song the only audience is this one and so that's a, i think one of the only times they sang birth and it was a very gross song like you couldn't do it you had to do it for a bunch but, of people that deal with birth every day. Yeah. And that's it's perfect. Recognizing the opportunities. Because, mm -hmm. like, there's jokes that I've got in the back pocket that 
they rarely see the light of day. If you, but sometimes you got the right crowd and you're like, like oh, this. this is for them. Yeah, this, yeah. Is. <laughs> this joke is for you and just you. I love that. I think that's great if you can read a room and get that. You have to. Yeah. We do corporate work and I always find it tough. Oh, yes. Corporate w- work is completely <laughs> different. Yeah. It's like a whole other beast. And I feel like I, I do quite a bit of it, but it is. It really, you're like, how do you get a group of people who didn't pay? They're just here for the food and the gifts to get them invested and involved in something like improv, mm-hmm. which to me, like people think of improv, like whose line? Like, yeah. They always are like, it's whose line? I'm, that, like, that... I'm like, it's not, they filmed for a week in the same clothes and took their best bits. Yeah. I'm like, that's not improv. <laughs> like, I mean, <laughs> it is, but they also curated bits. They had the, the ideal situation. Totally. They're like, let's do that. Let's do that again. But have a funnier line. Yeah. <laughs> but why wouldn't you? You can it's film TV. it. Yeah, it's TV. I always bust people's bubble when I tell them that. And I'm like, how do you think they did it? They just filmed it. And oh, they got it right the first, the first time, time every time. Yeah, and I was like, that's not improv. There's there's some shit in improv. There better be so that people appreciate the really good scenes. Yeah, I guess I never really thought about that. Oh, 100%. We, may, we purposefully will, we do a maestro show, and I'm like, we should see, like, it's scored from one to five. We should see a one. Like, yeah. we should, because it makes five worth more. When people don't know what a one is, mm. they'll score everything high. And even when your she- like scene is terrible, they'll score it high. And I'm like, what are you guys doing? This is a bad scene. So we really try to educate the audience on what a bad scene is. So we'll throw scenes sometimes in hopes that they will score it low. So we're like, yeah, this is a bad scene. <laughs> you made the right call. Yeah, because I think you have to educate people a little bit on like and figure out what they like because it's pretty easy to figure out an audience sometimes i find now like okay if i do these types of scenes i'm gonna get a five but what is gonna get me a one you know yeah it's interesting and you need to have that for variety's sake so you almost need a shitty stand-up comedian so the other guys seem really good (laughs) yeah honestly there are some people who will tour like, say I was going on the road with someone, mm-hmm. uh, like, they'd purposely bring, like, a bad opener. Really? Yeah. I think that's great. Yeah. To to be like, yeah, yeah. you know, he, you know, because people, you know, they'll give him 10 minutes of, and he might, you know, have a few good, good pops in there or something. But overall, it's like, this is rough. Yeah. And then when you get on stage. You look amazing. Exactly. Comparatively. Like, oh, this guy's. This guy knows what she's talking about. Yeah. That's great. Oh. I think it's good. I know it's probably not for the audience, but I do. I feel like you need that. It's like, are you going to watch every single movie and be like, oh my God, it's amazing. Exactly. You need to watch some shitty movies to know what you really like. Oh, it's like God. dating people. You need to have some shitty dates. <laughs> yeah, you need reference points. <laughs> yeah. To know when you met someone worth investing time into. <laughs> it's like improv. Need to see some shitty improv to know what's worth investing time into. Yep. I I I wholeheartedly believe that. In film school, I was told I had to watch a lot of movies because of that. So I would know what I like. Yeah, it sounds like anything. What I wanted to create or write or. And I think when I started writing sketch, it was the same. I finally I by the end of it, I was writing what I wanted, yeah. and I was doing it well. Yeah. I mean, ask me to write a sketch now and. It's been a while. I wouldn't know where to begin. But, yeah. It's crazy. You're looking at your time, aren't you? Well, it's just how I have it set up. <laughs> it, it keeps it's going to end? 15 minutes. Okay. So I have 15 minutes to make it really good. Whatever you want. <laughs> <laughs> or really bad. So Ooh, that yeah, that will end bad. <laughs> really bad. Bad podcast. So that people know what a good one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like this. Oh, look at this. No. You can't see it. You can't see it. Have you had any, like, what was, uh, 
talking about like a bad sketch or a bad scene. Oh yeah. <laughs> what about like your worst bombs? Bombs. Yeah. Is that a term you guys use in? Like improv? that. It was like just a shitty show. Oh yeah. Like there was nothing you could do right. No, even no. <laughs> <laughs> we don't have that in stand, uh, in sketch. Well, I mean, I'm trying to think if there was. A sh- I, not a full show because usually we there's something good in the show mm-hmm. I mean improv always like saved us a little bit because we we structured we finally structured our show where it was like we had an opening sketch and then improv and the improv was to get them warmed up to laugh because in improv it's not always about laughing it's about real getting people to relate and like impact them where sketch its intent is to make you laugh um and i think it took us a long time for me to really push that agenda i was like you guys we need to have laughs like it can't just be like a whole sketch and you get one good laugh mm. we, it needs to be funny throughout and i'm trying to think i mean there were some sketches we thought maybe would have had a bigger reaction but I can't even. I'm trying to think of like a sketch that was like kill me. I there was, there was some sketches <laughs> that we almost did, and thank God COVID came because I was like, this is no, this is gonna bomb. If a sketch is gonna bomb, it's gonna be this one. And there was a sketch I was scheduled to be in, and I was like, this shit's gonna bomb. And thank God, we shut down the world, so I didn't have <laughs> to do it. <laughs> so I didn't have to do it. But I'm trying to think, maybe in an improv show. I mean, there's a corporate improv show I remember where Riley was booed. Oh, it was bad. I was like, and he corporate like was too. so scarred from that. He was just like, "I'm never doing a corporate gig." And I was like, "I mean, I wouldn't judge you for that. Yeah. I mean, they were mean." But I like I'm trying to think if there was ever if I've ever done a bad. I mean, I love improv because I never have to do it again. Like it's you never have to do it again. With one and done, yeah. It really is, because you can't. Like I could try, but there's going to be something different about the improv scene. Well, and that's the thing too. I've tried to recreate something that I improved, mm, and yeah. that is painful. It's called chasing the dragon, is what uh, we call it. Yeah. Yeah, and you just can't. No. You can't do it. Like there's been some shows where magic has happened and I'm just like, wow, like we were all, it was just a a beautiful show that I wish I could go back and relive because it was like poignant and beautiful and like touching and, but funny, but I can never go back. No. And it, sometimes it's sad because when it's so good, you're like, ah, oh, I wish we could do that again. And it sucks, but when it's really bad, you're like, thank God we don't have to do that again because <laughs> it was so bad. Well, that's what I've, I've cre- like found interesting about stand-up the more I got into it mm. is where essentially when you're doing your bits, it's like artificially inseminating laughter into a room. Yeah. Well, because yeah. you know where the, you, you know where the joke should land. Exactly. Totally. Sketch is the same. Yeah. Like, ideally, you know where the joke's going to land. And if you don't, you should go back and work on your schedule. Yes. Mind. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes there were spots that always would surprise me that people laughed. Because we were improvisers, too. So sometimes some people would, you know, do get all a little off kilter. And that's okay. But I was like, you should be working a sketch down to its, like, essence, right? Like, of what it is and what's super funny. Just like a stand-up routine. Yeah. And that was an exercise I did a few years ago. I was asked to do, uh, someone put out like an ad looking for a comedian to perform in French down in Calgary. I'm bilingual. Do you speak French? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh my God. I I was like, you don't speak French and you totally said yes. Oh, no, 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 no. Uh, this is the thing. I took the, told the guy, I was like, hey, I'll do it. And he didn't believe that I could speak French. Yeah, I totally don't speak French right now. So... Oh, you want me to say what? Yeah, yeah. I don't think... Uh, hello, you... hello, bonjour, je m'appelle Zachary. Okay, like, well, that's... everyone can say that. <laughs> yeah, I know, but... Uh, just... <laughs> that's uh, crazy. So I spent... Uh, he was like... He, 
he didn't want to give me like the headline spot, the main mm, spot yeah. of the show. And I was like, okay. He's like, I'll give you the opening spot. Okay. So if you can do 15 minutes in French, that'll be like, that's all we'll need. I was like, okay, not a problem. So I spent like a month translating my best 15 yeah, yeah. into French. And what was important of it was it wasn't, it, it was translating the idea yeah. of knowing what's going to be. Of what the uh, understanding what's funny about the joke, yeah, yeah, so that it you can get the the idea translated into people's heads in French, in French. So I, I had see. to. It, it really taught me my own material, where I had to look at it. I was like, yeah, I, because it's, I know as I write it, I'm like, I find this funny, but then translating it to another language, totally why different. is this fun? Like, yeah, 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 really figuring out the specifics oh, that's of cool. it. And what happened was, as I was do- going through it all, uh, my father's French as well. Mm-hmm. And so, like, I don't speak French on the regular. Yeah. So, you know, I'd have to break out the, the Google Translate for a few words and, like, yeah. you know, you set, structure under- it correctly. understand more than you can speak. Well, it's just, it's not a muscle I use all the time. Totally. And so, uh, but I was asking my dad, too, like, hey, how would I say this in a more... Like there's the like Google Translate way, then it's like how much how would a more casual speaker say it? Mm-hmm. You know, maybe there's a slang term in here yeah. that that would work better. And the one thing that I was hoping that would kind of happen would I would get a word wrong, but it would be the right word. That it was to get funny. exactly. <laughs> and the one word it was, I didn't know what the French word for roommate was. Because mm. growing up, it was like, I've, I don't think I've ever heard, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know. Well, yeah. So I had the this joke about taking care of my roommate's fish. Mm-hmm. And I Googled the word, and the word was kaluk, is that came up. And I was like, I have never heard that word in my life. <laughs> I don't trust Google in this moment. Yeah, yeah. So I asked my dad, I was like, what would like <laughs> the word for roommate be? And he kind of scratched his head too. He's like, a cochonbrel, like a co flatmate. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay, that I'll go with what you said. So I get to the show. This was the other thing. The gentleman that Buddy hired, he yeah. flew him in from Manitoba. Great guy. Met him that day. We hung out. Cool. But he um, had only been doing stand up for about a year. Oh, God. Mm-hmm. And then a lot of his material was like bilingual jokes and oh. talking about kind of the differences and he, he'd French go back and yeah, yeah, and, yeah. He, and he'd jump back and forth between them a lot and so i got up and i and everything i was just only in french yeah yeah because that's what they had asked for yeah and so after well while i was up there i got to my roommate joke and i said you know uh Je vis avec uh, mon, mon, mon cochon bras m'avait demandé de prendre soin de son poisson. And people just started laughing. That wasn't exactly how I said it, but when, and when I said cochon bras, people just started to laugh. Yeah. I was like, it's happening. <laughs> I said and, the word. And I said it. This is, this is it. That's amazing. And so every time I said uh, cochon bras as yeah. I'm going through the bit, <laughs> they just started giggling. And I was like, I have no idea what I'm saying right now. <laughs> and finished finished the show. And afterwards, this lady came up to me. She she goes, uh, like a cochon brown is a is a guinea pig. Oh no! I love it. So the joke turned into my guinea pig asked me to take care I of his fish. fish. <laughs> All the time, she's just like, yeah, kaluk is actually the word oh, that you're looking for. Your dad. Yeah, he messed. He totally but, messed. but that was what I wanted to happen at yeah, that yeah. point. Oh, that's yeah. great. Yeah. How fun! It was fantastic. And like, I think that like speaks to your charisma too. That you can like pull that off. Like, I think like, like charismatic, like. I think that plays a lot. Well, it was also just leaning into it. Yeah. You know, I anticipated this happening. Yeah. Wasn't sure how we were going to get there, but now it's happening. Yeah. So and then you just roll with, with it. it and enjoy yeah. it. And then the issue, the next issue was when I finished. Yeah. I got off stage and 
uh, the host was getting yeah. ready to bring the buddy up, but he was doing a few minutes in between. And he came up to me and goes, I can't follow that. Oh, no. He was like, it's, he's like, it's not, this isn't going to go well. Aww. And he just got it. And, he's, and he's, so he told me, he was like, all right, this is the bit that I close on. <laughs> Whenever you like hear me doing this, then, uh, then I'll need you to like kind of pull the plug. And it was, I think he was supposed to do 20 and it was like 10 or so into <gasps> no. it. And he just went to it because he wasn't getting anything from him. Oh, them. no. Yeah. That's the worst. It was. And I felt bad for him because he was a great guy. Yeah, yeah. And. Uh, I mean, that's hard, though. Yeah. Because he didn't know what he was getting into either. Yeah. But, I, but he flew him out here and he was just having like the, he was like, this is incredible, man. Like, yeah, I get flown out. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. You, you've made it. <laughs> I, yeah. I <laughs> but mean, he's like, well, I guess you can speak French. I was like, fuck you, man. Like, I yeah, told you. I did it. I would have been way cheaper. Maybe Ugh. not. Yeah, I can't say, like, I, I'm i trying to think if I ever had a thing where I was like, it was a bad, I don't know. I don't think so. Oh, I've bombed. <laughs> i mean but that's how you learn and and that's where it's like you're by yourself right like you've learned i mean we've done sh- like i would like i said at the beginning i was like we did a three-hour show and it was painful not because the things were painful but it was like painfully long yeah and people are like we're still sitting in this there's rarely anything that should last three hours Oh, yeah. We just <laughs> we just did a corporate gig and this guy was like, I want two hours of entertainment. I'm like, dude, no. 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 And he's like, I want it. I want it. Hire me. I'll pay for it. And I was like, OK. And it was bad. Like these poor stand ups, like half the room left after we did improv because they're like, oh, it's over. And we're like, no, there's stand up. These poor sounds <sighs> just had a hell of a time working the room. And I was like, oh, these guys. I mean, at least they're paid. Yeah. But at the same time, I'm like, oh, would you pay to do that to yourself? <laughs> Maybe. It's good practice. Oh, that's the, the kind of the, the mindset that you have to be in when taking corporate gigs like that. Yeah. Is this is not. People didn't pay a ticket to come see you. No. Like you said earlier, they've yeah. got other things on the mind. They're here for the food. They the want gifts. the PlayStation. The, yeah. the boss is <laughs> giving away 100%. Yeah, it's taken us a long time. Like, we've done corporate gigs for a long time. I think finally I've had enough confidence to, like, be able to shift what we're delivering. And I think it's working now. And But that took, like, 16 years of figuring it out. And now I'm wanting to do more corporate education um, because I really like putting, like, Joe Blow in an improv scene. Like, I, I taught a bunch of engineers from Nova, and it was, like, the best day of my life because <laughs> there's like they don't like gray and improv's pretty gray yes and they like black and white and i was like you guys are gonna walk around and jump at the same time and this one guy was like couldn't we just say jump and we all jump <laughs> and i'm like you totally could you totally could but it would defeat the purpose of group mind and he's like group what and i'm like just see if you can feel it he's like feel it how i'm like like, just, like, experience it. Like, see if you can be hyper-focused with the people around you and jump at the same time. And his face, like, I swear, he was like, whoa, I hate this. <laughs> but then at the end, he really started to lean in to what we were doing. And I love that. That's, like, I mean, that's where I'm at in improv is, like, how do I get people to lean in? How do I get people who normally wouldn't experience improv to be surprised by it? In, like, great ways. Because improv can be more than just a laugh. Like, I've seen people do, like, just beautiful work on stage. And I'm amazed that it's made up. Like, I really am. Like, this one guy in Chicago, he did, he was on the phone while ironing a shirt. And he was talking to his partner. So he had three things he was doing at one time. And he was, it was all made up. So he was on this phone call while talking to his partner while ironing and i'm like i can't believe he's making this up like this is like and the ironing was very well done because it was mimed so but he made it look real that i knew where the collar of the shirt was like he did the whole thing on the iron where you get like all fucked up with the arms 
And it was just like, holy shit, he's making this up. Or those relationships you see on stage for improvise or that are improvised, and it's so real that you're like, they must have written this. And it's not. I'm like, that, that's good improv. Thank you for listening to this episode of Regulars Anonymous. If you want to find out more about our guests, please check the bio below for all their links and information. Thank you for supporting by subscribing and following the show. I might see you out there and have no idea who you are.